special Sunday. And Lord, every time we meet, we meet to worship you. And if that's not special, then something's desperately wrong. But we ask that you would be with us this morning, that we may bring glory and praise and honor to your name, that we may truly worship you in a way that not only you will accept, but you could enjoy. Lord, we ask that we would be able to bless you today with our singing, with the specials, with the preaching. But most of all, Lord, the greatest blessing you want is the offering of a broken and contrite spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts and lives to bring us to a place that you could use us in your service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to move around in the Scripture quite a little bit this morning. And this is Christmas Sunday, and uh, we are glad for everyone that is here. And the song this morning, uh, though we didn't actually uh, plan on the sermon and the song together, uh, couldn't fit better. Uh, the title, if you like a title for the message this morning, is Worship Christ. And the word worship and the word bow are, are very closely related uh, in your Bible. And uh, in fact, that's one of the reasons, uh, just a short aside, many of the new versions take the word worship out and put the word kneel or, or bowed in its place. But the word worship implies something far greater than just bowing. I mean, in, in certain uh, parts of the world, when you meet someone, it's customary to uh, uh, bow or, or uh, you meet the queen, you're supposed to curtsy or whatever uh, they do there. If you're a lady and, and uh, bow before uh, royalty, as you step into their presence, this is uh, uh, an act of humility. And certainly worship is an act of humility. It is humbling ourselves before God. But when we talk about worship, it should be a lot more than just a mere courtesy. Amen? We are talking about the creator of our universe. From the beginning, if you want to study the entire Bible, God has only asked one thing from man. Man, the pinnacle the highest of His creation, the only thing in creation that God made exceptionally special and different from all other creation. He, he defined that difference in this sentence. He said, And let us make man in our image after our likeness. Uh, it's, it's not an amazing thing to any student of the Bible that man would want to put himself in the place of God, that man would want to elevate himself to that position of God because he was created in God's image. In fact, that's the temptation that the devil used to deceive Eve. He said, if you will just eat of the fruit of this tree, if you'll just disobey God, you'll be like God. You'll know both good and evil. Well, that statement was 100% true. Only God can... Here's the difference, though. Only God can know both good and evil and not be controlled by evil. You see, the problem is when we know good and evil, it's because we've surrendered to evil and cannot do the good. Isn't that true? And all that God has asked is that 
man would recognize God as God. And recognizing God as God means one thing. It means worship. But God asks man to recognize Him as God, understanding that my obedience to God's command is not something I do to please this great, all-powerful God, but in being obedient to God, I realize the highest plane of attainment, not only for myself, but for the benefit of all mankind. When we are obedient to God's words, we have reached the highest level that humanity can attain to, And it benefits not only you. It benefits everybody around you. Could we say amen to that? You see, the Bible puts it this way. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is. And God is good. But without faith, It is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I want us to start reading in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high." being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God Worship Him. Now, people have stumbled at some of the words here. It says Jesus was made better. How could He be made better if He is God? And the simple truth of the matter is the things that Jesus did had to happen and actually occur in an element we understand and call time. Uh, Jesus did not, uh, in the mind of God, Jesus had already accomplished all those things before God had said, let there be light. The only problem is, none of us had seen it. God had to do things so that we could see them. And that's simply what it means when Jesus was made. He fulfilled all of the promises and the prophecies that God had said would be fulfilled. I want you to understand something, that God is interested in one thing. He is interested in the worship of Jesus Christ. And if you want to celebrate Christmas as it ought to be celebrated, You need to be interested in one thing. The worship of Jesus Christ. I want to move very quickly through the first several points of this message because the actual message is in the application, but I want us to understand verse 6. You see, when Jesus was born in the manger... God made a decree from heaven's throne and let all the angels of God worship Him. 
That wasn't just an angelic choir. That was the emptying of the portals of heaven to bring the entire host of angels down here in the physical presence of these shepherds. It is absolutely no wonder why they were not scared out of their minds, why the angel had to say unto them, Fear not, why God had to keep them away from this earth. I mean, the sound of their singing could have destroyed every building on the face of the earth. But God chose to do it in such a way that only a few knew what was happening. And if you were here for Sunday school, you will have what I believe to be the significance of them uh, appearing to the shepherds, that they were the priests that kept the sacrificial flocks, that they wanted, that God wanted those who prepared the blood sacrifice in the temple to see and to know that God was preparing His sacrifice for sins forever. And it said, let all the angels of God worship Him. Jesus was worshipped in His manger. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at several different passages, so be ready to turn. I've tried to keep most of them in the book of Matthew today to make them easy to find. But Matthew chapter 2 and verse, 13, uh, verse 11, we, we have the story of the wise men coming. They stopped in Saul Herod. They finally get to the house, the Bible says. This was no longer the manger. In verse 11, and when they were come into the house, they saw the, what? What does your Bible say there? Young child. See, Jesus was no longer the babe in the manger when the wise men showed up. He was a young child. Uh, the time that Herod in, inquired of the, of the wise men when the star appeared, he went and he murdered all the babies in Bethlehem that were two years old and younger according to the time of the star. This, this event here happened approximately two years after the birth. Mary and Joseph had already made a trip to Nazareth. They'd come back to Bethlehem. And they were waiting here in Bethlehem for the wise men to come. Because God had sent them to worship Jesus as a child. You see, God's interested in the worship of Jesus Christ. As a newborn babe in the manger, he sent all the angels of heaven to worship him. As a little child, he sent these wise men from the east, and they fell on their knees and on their faces before this little child, and they worshipped him, and they offered gifts of incredible value and worth, of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But Jesus grew up. What's the first of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Isn't that correct? What's the second? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Uh, You're not to worship anything but God is commandment number two. Commandment number one is there is only one God. You are not allowed to put anything in His place, God wants our attention to be drawn to Himself. Are we all together there? Jesus, as He walked this earth, after His baptism and in His public ministry, accepted worship as God on numerous occasions. This is one of the reasons why those that did not believe that he was who he claimed to be picked up stones to stone him. I just want to read you a few of these. Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And so this man with leprosy, a death sentence, uh, it's interesting, the Bible never says that someone is sick of leprosy, they always say they are unclean by reason 
of leprosy. Leprosy is not treated as a disease. It is treated as uncleanness. And when a leper is healed, he is cleansed according to the Bible. And this leper came and worshipped Jesus as the answer to corruption, the answer to sin, the answer to that which is unclean in our lives. And he worshipped Jesus. And Jesus healed him. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. This was Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He, he was a man responsible for teaching others about the Ten Commandments, along with the 603 others. And what did he do when he met Jesus? He worshipped Jesus. Does that tell you what this man believed about Jesus? Can we say amen to that? If he did not believe that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament, he would have been committing the greatest blasphemy is in, in his entire life. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He was in charge of teaching others how to keep the laws of God. And he got down on his knees and he worshipped Jesus as God because his daughter was dead, dying. But he worshipped Jesus as the giver of life. And all God's people said, When Jesus stilled the waters in Matthew chapter 14, He stood up and said, Peace be still, and there is a great calm. And it says in Matthew 14 verse 33, Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped Him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. Now these were the disciples of Jesus. They were in the ship. The ship was full of water. It was going down. And Jesus stood up and said, Peace be still. It says, And they came. That means there was enough room in the boat that they could move away from him and they came. You've got to remember, this boat's full of water. And they fell down in that water in the bottom of the boat. And they said, of a truth, they worshipped him as the God of the Bible. And by the way, I want you to understand something that is absolutely necessary here. Jesus accepted worship as God. If Jesus believed himself not to be God, as many people say, or to be a prophet of God, he would have been committing the greatest act of blasphemy that he possibly could by accepting worship that belonged only to God. I want you to understand something. Every one of these people that came to Jesus and worshipped him, the leper, the ruler of the synagogue, the disciples, and Jesus himself were giving testimony to the fact that he was the child the wise men worshipped, that he was the babe that all the angels in heaven worshipped, that he is the very God of this book called the Bible. You know, there's a lot of things that go out there. I read a thing of a Bible college, actually a Baptist college. Uh, we would not recognize them as being true to the Word of God. They gave that up 30, 40 years ago. Uh, but they fired a professor who said Allah is equal with the God of the Bible. And the students at the college got upset and started wearing burqas to class. That's Wheaton Bible College in Wheaton, Illinois. By the way, it's the college that Billy Graham was associated with for a long time. That probably answers most of our questions right there. Let me tell you something. Allah is not 
the God of this book called the Bible. The great spirit of the Indians is not the God of this book called the Bible. The God of the Buddhist mantras has nothing to do except try to fight the God of this book called the Bible. But I want you to understand something. The God that said, let there be light, said, I created the worlds by Him. You see, you can't separate the Trinity of God from its parts. In creation, God the Father spoke. God the Son did. And it says, by Him was not anything made that was made. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. In salvation, read Hebrews chapter 9, Jesus Christ offered Himself through the eternal Spirit to God the Father to pay the price for our sins. You cannot separate the Trinity. It's one God. And that's why Jesus accepted worship from God. And the Syrophoenician woman, as she is called in the Scriptures, the Bible says of her in Matthew 15, Then came she and worshipped Him, saying, Lord, help me. She needed help. Why did she want help from Jesus? Why did she worship Him? It was because her daughter, my friend, was under the power of demonic influences. The prince of darkness, the prince of the power of this air, held her daughter captive. And she wanted her daughter set free. And so she appealed to the Lord over all the forces of this world. Strangely enough, Jesus put her off. He ignored her for a time and even said that unto her that he was not sent uh, to anyone but the house of Israel. And the woman made this statement. She said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Do you know how much faith it took to make that statement? She said, I don't need the bread. I just need the crumbs. It is a little thing for you to do this great thing for me. Jesus said of her that she had great faith. But she worshipped him and Jesus accepted. In in John chapter 9, we have the blind man. The story of the man that was born blind. And the Bible says that Jesus met him after he had been thrown out of the synagogue and Uh, uh, cut off from Israel is what actually happened to him is the term in the Old Testament. And Jesus found him and said, Do you believe on the Son of God? And he said, Who is he that I may believe on him? And Jesus said, It's me. And he fell down and worshipped him. And there were scribes and Pharisees there who questioned what happened. And question their need to fall down and worship Jesus. And we won't take time to read the whole passage, but just give you a summary of it. Jesus said, listen, you think you can see you're blind. But those who are willing to admit their blindness and fall on their face before me, they can see. Do you understand the pattern of worship here? God sent His angels to worship Him as a babe in the crib. He sent the wise men to worship Him as a young child. He had men all over, all through the gospel account. Worship Jesus as God. I want to challenge you. Even as Jesus suffered, Mark fifteen nineteen says, And they smote him on the head with a reed, and did spit upon him, bowing their knees, worshipped him. Even in their mockery, they bowed their knees before the Son of God. Now, that was not the kind of worship that God demands or wants. 
but it's more often the type of worship that man is willing to give God. But I want to tell you something. Three days later when he was risen from the dead, let me just read the verses. Matthew chapter 28, verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them. These were the other women that were with Mary uh, Magdalene, saying, All hail! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Matthew 28:17. When he appeared to the disciples, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Luke 24, as Jesus ascended and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Jesus was worshipped as an infant in the main, in Bethlehem's manger, as a young child, all through his earthly ministry, even as he suffered in mockery. They thought they were making fun of Jesus and adding to his scorn, yet they still bowed the knee before him. And as the risen Lord, he was worshipped. It was Thomas that fell on his face and said, My Lord and my God. But I want to challenge you, God's not finished worshiping Jesus yet. You see, how many of you are familiar with Revelation chapter 5? I want you to turn there for just a moment. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 4 is about the throne of God and how it is set there in heaven. And, and we are given just an incredibly small glimpse into the glories and the wonders of heaven. And verse 5, after we see the glory of the throne and Him that sits on it and the proclamation is made in verse 11 of chapter 4, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of Him that sat on the throne a book written within and out, and on the backside and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And as you read on, you will find that a search has been made into every corner and crevice of the universe, into the depths of the sea, into places that you and I could not even dare to investigate if we chose to try. And no one was found worthy to take the book. And John the Apostle, in beholding this, missed the entire point of what was going on and broke down under the stress and began to just cry and weep uncontrollably. And one of the servants who was beside him said, Weep not! Verse 5, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the world. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. Could I challenge you that all eternity is going to be about the worship of Jesus Christ. Could we say amen to that? Because He is the one that redeemed us. He is the one that paid the price for our sins. And we're going to sing a song that the angels cannot sing. We're going to sing a song that no one can sing because only the redeemed of the Lord can sing this song. And it is going to be a song of worship and praise to the Lamb that was slain.
How many of you have ever played a tape of someone singing who, who could really, I mean really, really sing? I, I love to play those old quartet tapes and uh, just sing along with them, pretend that I can actually sing like that. I mean, how many of you do that? Uh, I can't wait till I get to heaven because I'm going to sing like that. And it won't be pretend. It won't be up here. It'll be out there. And nobody's going to say, as I often do to my sons or daughters who will sing throughout the building, and I don't mind that except when the neighbors can hear it. Uh, nobody's going to say, that's a little off key. Why don't you go home and practice? No, no it's going to be good up there. And God's going to want to hear it. And that's what eternity is going to be about, my friend. You see, he was worshipped as the babe in the manger by the angels. He was worshipped even as a little child by the wise men. He was worshipped in his earthly ministry by those seeking cleansing, seeking life, seeking power over the forces of the devil, seeking salvation from the forces of nature as they were about to drown on the Sea of Galilee. As the object of the faith that gave sight to the blind. He was even mocked in worship as he was suffering. It's amazing that they couldn't do, find some other way to insult or mock him. They had to do it that way, didn't they? You see, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And we'll be winding down here very shortly. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 9. It says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and every tongue, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He was worshipped as the risen Lord. And He will be worshipped all through eternity as our Savior and as the Son of God and as God the Son. And it says every tongue is going to confess. I can't wait to watch those angels drag all of these atheists up before the throne of God, and every one of them is going to confess that He is Lord. And every despot and every dictator that has made people fear and, and quiver under His power and His dominion is going to fall in, 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 a, in a mass that would be humiliating to anybody or anything. And they're going to lay there shaking head to foot and say, He is Lord. It's not me. I never had any power at all. And finally, the old devil himself is going to be handled as roughly as any common criminal and thrown in a heap at the foot of Jesus. And he will confess with all of his being. It won't be some hiss. It, it will be all of his power as his being. He will confess that Jesus is Lord. Then he'll be bound and cast into the lake of fire that burneth with brimstone forever and ever. See, that's God's plan for the ages. It's going to take all of eternity. He wants to tell your story and how God did something in your life that brings glory and worship to Jesus. And so my question is, what part are you going to have When we get to heaven, what will be your part in eternity yet to come?
that will bring glory and worship to the one whose birth we talk about celebrating. There's nothing wrong with celebrating Christmas. Nothing wrong at all. You have time. You have time with your family. You have time with those that you love. But let me tell you something. I want to ask you a question. When we get to eternity, what are you going to have to worship Christ with? See, the Bible tells us that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. That's when you're going to receive the ability and the things with which God is going to enable you for eternity to worship Jesus Christ. Is you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And it's going to be, uh, uh, as the Christians, those that are saved are going to appear. You're going to be judged. The things that you have done. There's only going to be one standard of judgment, my friend. It's going to be, what have you done with the things that are written in this book? Could we say amen to that? I'm so glad to tell you that it's not the whim and fancy of some religious nutcase locked in a tower somewhere that has discovered some secret that has been hidden through the ages. God's Word is very plain. It is simple to anyone who will read and understand God is going to judge you by the things that are written in that book if you profess faith in Him. He's going to ask you what you've done to serve me. Not only is the work going to be judged, but the motives behind the work is going to be judged. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where it talks about it's going to be tried by fire. And whatever cannot abide the fire, the wood, the hay, the stubble is all going to be burnt away. Sometimes I wonder if they're going to need one of those big magnifying glasses and a pair of tweezers to go through the ashes and try to pick out some little thing. And that's what you'll have. As others are casting crowns at His feet and worshiping the Lord because your life was spent at other things than what it should have been to prepare to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. I know this isn't one of those warm and fuzzy feel-good sermons, but if you listen to it now, you'll be glad you heard it when you get equipped for eternity. Amen? You see, God is desirous to give you an abundance of ability to worship Jesus Christ throughout all eternity. And here's the verse. We're still there in Philippians chapter 2, I hope. We just read verse 11. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his Good pleasure. You see, here's how you get what you're going to need to worship Jesus throughout eternity. Many people take this verse and they say, See there? Yeah, you need to work out a deal. And I don't know how many people have told me over the years, Well, we got an understanding, me and God. Uh, No, you don't. God's got an understanding between Him and you. Yes, He does. It's right here. This is the only thing He's given you. 
And you're to take that salvation that He has given you and you're to work it out. You're to make it work. How is that salvation supposed to work? Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? There's a lot of things in this book that it tells us we ought to do. It says, if you're saved... Well, let's start at the beginning. If you're not saved, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Amen? That's how you get it. That's where you start. But after you get saved, what are you supposed to do? Get baptized. Try it nice and loud. Get baptized. Amen? And what does baptism do? That brings you into the fellowship of a local, visible Assembly of believers. It's called a church. Baptist church. A Bible-believing Baptist church. Amen? Because that's the only place where you're going to find the Word of God taught. That is the context for your Christianity. You cannot serve God by yourself. It's not go thee, it's go ye. I'll tell you what, Brother Davis, boy, I, I feel for him and Miss Kathy. She, she made all that food and, and the ladies in the church made all those cookies. And, of course, it was my job to try just a little bit of everything to make sure it was all good. Amen. Uh, no, it was excellent. Everything was, always is. And I, I went and I, I said, Kathy, boy, I said, this has got to be too much. She said, no, it's not. But Brother Hiram came up to me and he says, he says, you don't know what's going on. He says, we're the only people in the area doing anything like this. He said, this, I, said I believe this is going to have some good results for our church. I'll tell you what. That's worth the drive. To get out the word to help Cornerstone Bible Baptist Church. You know Why? Because that's the stuff that lasts, my friend. That's just being faithful to this book called the Bible. Amen? You know, we got a present for you. How many of you know what your Christmas present is from Open Door Bible Baptist Church? No, it's not your tithing envelopes. That's your New Year's present. Amen? No. It's your Bible reading schedule. And please don't raise your hands, but would, would you do something this year different than last? Would you make a commitment to at least... Do the reading in your Bible reading schedule. That is the minimum requirement. I say, that's a lot of reading. No, that's not a lot of reading. Read your entire New Testament once a month for the whole year. That, that's a lot of reading. But you need to read God's Word. Why? Because you need to make your salvation work. And if it's going to work, it's got to know what's in the Bible. And the only way that God has designed for you to really know what's in the Bible is through the preaching on Sunday morning. But that's not good enough. You've got to read on your own. Amen? If I were to ask you to raise a hand, how many would say, I have got a major burden in my life right now that I am just struggling with. There's some things that are happening that I need God to give me the victory over. How many people just lift up a hand and say, Preacher, that's me. Let's be honest this morning. Okay, let me tell you. Do you know where you're going to get the victory? The answer is right here. The answer is in here. But you're never going to get it if you don't read it. If you don't seriously read this book.
You know what? God wants you to have the victory more than you do. He wants you to deal with that problematic person that steals your joy. And that doesn't mean you're going to shoot them in the back or knife them in the dark. That's not biblical. He says he'll teach you how to love them and not only put up with them, but how to live in his joy in spite of them. You say, I can't comprehend that ever happening. Well, don't come and tell me the story afterwards. I got enough bad stories. Open up this book and tell him the story. And he'll tell you that's why I died on the cross. How big is your problem now? Amen? You see, God's interested in one thing today, my friend. He's interested in the worship of Jesus Christ. That's why we sing those songs. I I love, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Do you know that hundreds of people were murdered in the streets of New York City during the Civil War because of the enlistment requirements of the United States Army to fight in the war. Had enlistment riots. You can look it up and study the history. In the streets of this city, hundreds and hundreds of men were murdered in the violence that happened because people did not want to enlist in the army and fight against the South in slavery. There's terrible things that happened. Old Mr. Longfellow heard those bells. He said, there's a greater message than the turmoil of war. You see, one of these days, there's not going to be a statue blasphemously pointing to the United Nations where the guy is taking his sword and beating it into a plowshare. But the King of Kings, who is to be worshipped, will rule the world from the city of David, which is Jerusalem. The throne of David is in Jerusalem, city of David's Bethlehem, I'm sorry. But he will sit upon the throne of his father David, an everlasting throne, and it will be a thousand years of peace. And no one will lift a weapon. There will be no suicide bombers in his kingdom. That's going to be our job. A police force that will stop all wrongdoing before it even happens. And yet, not need the heavy boot of communism and tyranny to get it done. Only God can do that. I want to ask you something. How's your salvation working? If it isn't, there's a place to get it fixed. That's what the altar's all about. You just come up here. It's not a magical place. But I'll tell you what, God wants your worship. And there's no better place to start it than getting on your knees at an old-fashioned altar and saying, God, I want you to make me the kind of Christian that will have something to worship you through eternity. You want our church to go forward? We need some miracles for that church, the Union Baptist Church, to be saved, for the building to be kept. Brother Mike, to get members to fill that place up. Let me tell you, That's not going to happen unless we get our salvations working over here so that God can bless and do the things that He wants to do. You see, 
God said, let all the angels of God worship Him. What He wants from you and I is to confess that He is Lord and to worship Him with our lives so that we'll have something to worship Him with for all eternity. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer. And Lord, my prayer is simple this morning. Lord, if there be someone here that is not saved, I would pray that the Holy Spirit of God would be able to work in their lives and help them realize there's nothing they can do to worship Jesus until they have surrendered to His Lordship to His person and get saved. Oh Lord, that today would be the day of salvation for any such person in this auditorium this morning. Lord, we have others that are just struggling with being obedient, whether it be baptism, membership, Bible reading, Secret sins that are hidden from other men's eyes. Nothing is hidden from you. Anger, depression, frustration. Lord, we could list the sins. If we tried to list them all, we'd be here till next Sunday. But Lord, that we would let your salvation work past our sins and our personalities. that we would be able to equip ourselves for eternity. An eternity where we lift up the name of Jesus. Where we'd have a testimony to the things that you have done right here in our lives. Oh Lord, please. Equip us to worship you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Andrew comes to lead the hymn of invitation, if you need to come and pray, now is the time.